Fantastic. <clears throat> well, in the movie, uh, how many of y'all have seen Peter Pan? Okay, okay, just making sure. How many of y'all remember the song uh, Following the Leader? Yeah, not as many. Yeah. And how many of y'all remember, like, the last part of the, some of those verses? Were like, like, oh, I don't want to sing that one anymore. That's a little... <laughs> All right, so there is, is this great song, play, play the game, following the leader. And you can, read, you can look at the lyrics later, okay, Tom? It's all right. I know you're looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? Look up the lyrics later. You'll see. <clears throat> the way the song, the main part of the song goes, right, is following the leader, the leader, the leader, following the leader, wherever they may go. Right? And that's what we do. We do that in real life, too. How many of us have ever played follow the leader? Good. Everyone, really, and if you haven't raised your hand, you probably have, you just didn't know it. Maybe you've played Simon Says, which is basically the same game. I'm saying. Uh, but the idea is this. You choose a leader, and you go where they go, and you do what they do. So you end up uh, stomping through puddles and climbing over fences and swinging from trees because you don't want to be left out. After all, you, no one wants to be a quitter. And even today, we still play the game, though we don't call it follow the leader. Instead, in schools and in sports and in our jobs and in our families and in our society, we follow leaders. Often we look to follow those who uh, share our worldview or are heading towards where we want to go. We might uh, follow influencers or different trends. But every day, we're faced with making a choice of which leader we want to follow. And today, we'll look at Christ's invitation for us to follow him, to have him as our leader, to go where he goes, and to do what he does. And we'll explore some of the things that hold us back from following him, and we'll also see God's grace toward wayward followers like us. And then finally, we'll see what it is that Jesus invites us to do, and where it is that Jesus invites us to follow now, in our text, in the Luke text, commentaries point us, and they point out that this is a real big turning point in the narrative. So the first, uh, really, nine chapters of Luke is all Jesus. He is going through ministries, going through, through Galilee, healing and teaching and preaching. And now, the text tells us that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Other translations say that he set his face towards Jerusalem. It was time to walk the path of the cross. And though he would be confronted with lots of different obstacles, nothing would stop him from his mission to save his fallen creation. He wouldn't turn to the left or to the right. He was resolute, set face on Jerusalem. And as he went... There were three potential followers that interact with Jesus, and even though those interactions are rather short. And that's because Christ is very upfront and honest with them about the costs associated with being his disciple. Some might even consider his response to be a bit abrasive. But as we'll see from, as we discover their reasoning, these would-be followers didn't really want what Jesus was offering. And before we judge them, judge them too harshly, we'll note that some of their reasoning is often our reasoning as well. So as we hear their stories, we'll see our own hearts too. So first off, we, we meet this man who approaches Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And at first glance, 
That's awesome. That's great. I hope that all of us would say that very same thing. But when we look at the culture of the day, this man is actually exuding quite a bit of ego and pride. Because today, we go up to someone and say, I want to follow you. I mean, there's a button on all of our social media that says follow, and you can choose to follow whoever you want. But back in those days, students did not choose their rabbis, ever. Rabbis selected their students, selected their disciples. None of the twelve chose Jesus. It was only Jesus who issued forth that call, follow me. So for this man, who, according to the book of Matthew, his account of this text uh, says that he was a scribe, to assert himself like this is more or less him saying, Jesus, it seems to me you're pretty bad at this picking disciples thing. You're really going to want to have me on your team. I'm kind of a big deal. But the the man's problems goes far deeper than just his pride. So we can gather from Christ's answer that the man had a pretty rosy picture of what Jesus was doing, where he was going. And that makes a lot of sense when you consider the context. Because in the context, earlier in our gospel reading, Jesus had just walked away from a Samaritan, uh, from Samaria altogether after a confrontation. And it seems like he was rejecting these Samaritans. And then now he's going towards the Mecca of all things Jewish. And that must have resonated with the man. I mean, rejecting Samaritans and hanging out in the capital city of Jerusalem, I can get on board with that. And he wants to go with him. And because Jesus is aligning with his agenda, he's willing to follow. Because Jesus, all the things that he's doing right now, that sounds good to me, so I will follow. And Jesus quickly squashes that thought. He says this, he says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What he's saying here is, if you're coming here for comfort, you are following the wrong person. Because Jesus is not coming, is not going to Jerusalem for comfort's sake. He's going to the cross. And if this man is going to follow Jesus, he's going to follow him to Calvary. He's going to follow him into the tomb. Because following Jesus is not about gathering comfort or gathering wealth for ourselves. It's, it's not about finding success in the eyes of the world. Following Jesus is not about furthering our agenda. Instead, it's about sacrificing it and adhering to his will. And the next two people that we encounter in the text, they were called by Christ to follow him, but both were reluctant. The first, he responded saying, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. That certainly seems like a reasonable request, right? Lord, let me get the funeral taken care of, then I'm all yours. In fact, one could even point to the fourth commandment and say, this guy was just trying to honor his father one last time. Here's the problem. More than likely, that guy's father is not dead. If he was, that man would either be at the funeral currently or he'd be in the mourning process. Because in Jewish tradition at that time, the custom was the whole family would spend 30 days in mourning. That means they would not leave the house. They would stay right there with the family. And if if this guy's dad was indeed dead, he would not be on the road to interact with Jesus in the first place. That doesn't match up. 
Instead, it's probably this man using his father as an excuse. So it's kind of like saying, not now, Jesus. Uh, after all, my dad's getting up there in age, but I'll have, I'll have time for you later. Not now. Now, when we frame it in those kinds of words, that doesn't exactly sound like faith, does it? And so Jesus responded. He said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Following Jesus doesn't mean giving him the leftovers of our lives. It means making him the priority of our lives. And it doesn't track with our timetable. It requires us to operate on his timing, whether that means waiting for his provision or acting quickly in faith. But we don't get to say, not now. Something else is coming first. Instead, as followers of Christ, we go where he goes. We go when he calls. And the third, the conversation with the third man drives home that same point. That man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And again, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Great request. Nothing wrong with what he wanted to do. He even evoked an imagery, and we didn't get this the first reading for the day. Uh, the Old Testament reading is 1 Kings, the call of Elisha. <clears throat> and there, Elisha asks to do the very same thing. The problem was not the request. It's the priority. Notice the five-letter word in his response. First. He wanted his family, he wanted his life to be first, to have priority over following Jesus. So Jesus evokes another Old Testament image. He, said, he brings up Lot and his wife as they fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. And now if you remember, in that story, Lot's wife looks back at what she was leaving behind. She looked back at the life that she had been called away from, and the result was she became a pillar of salt. And now Jesus evokes that image, saying, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it very clear. We are to have no other gods before him, including those we hold dear. Following Jesus isn't about preserving your life, but forsaking it for the sake of the gospel. Or as Jesus teaches us earlier in Luke chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, following Jesus is not about furthering our agenda. It doesn't allow for other things to take as a priority. It's not about self-preservation. Following Jesus isn't living the same way as usual with just a bit of added joy. It's about leaving death behind and having life in Christ, even if that life in Christ seems strange to those closest to you. Even if it seems strange to those whose, whose respect you desire the most. We hear the call to follow. But it doesn't mean we follow well. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we lived on a, on a few acres of land in the country, and my sister and I would tag along with Dad as he was walking the, walking the land and doing chores. And we did, we, did, we played follow the leader. And so wherever Dad walked, uh, we would try to walk in the exact same place that he stepped 
And my sister, she was older than me, so you know, she would have to reach really, really far, but she could make it. She could barely make it there. And me, I was smaller, and so I had to just jump for it. And I had to, to leap with all that I could, trying to get to that next step. And even then, most of the time I missed. I fell short. And that's usually that's, that's similar to how well we follow Jesus. We simply can't measure up to his perfection. Try as we might, selfishness gets the best of us. Though we may desire to follow Jesus, there are things that hold us back. And it's the same things that, hold, that held back the would-be disciples from our text. Our own pride, our own priorities, our own self-preservation. We leap, but we fall short. And if we're honest, sometimes we would rather just not follow. There are times when we've set our hearts on things below instead of on things above. And we've loved ourselves more than we've loved our God. And we've turned our loved ones into idols by valuing what they think more than what he desires. And we make Jesus fit into our agendas, into our timetables, instead of fitting ourselves into his will. And the comforts and the pleasures of this world often override the standards found in God's word. Like those would-be disciples, we often put conditions on Jesus. We say, I'll follow, but first, or I'll follow as long as, and then you fill in the blank. But sinfully, we have obeyed God only when it's convenient. And having been faced with this, our sin it's important for us to take the opportunity to confess it before God and to pray for his mercy, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ. And so let's pray a prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, though you have called us to follow, we are so quickly distracted by our own priorities, by our own desires. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for our, our excuses for not following where and when you've called us. Forgive us for our waywardness. Forgive us for all of the sin that weighs so heavily upon us this morning. Hear us for the sake of Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. You know, it's our sin that's exactly why Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem in the first place. That's why he went. He walked the path of the cross to die for us. And though we are half-hearted in our attempts to follow him, he wholeheartedly shed his blood and breathed his last on the cross. Though we are prone to value people and to value things over him, the sinless son of God gave up everything, even his own life, in order to redeem us. And he has redeemed us. He's atoned for the idolatry of our upside-down priorities. He has taken the punishment that we deserved. And because of Christ's sacrifice, God has taken away your sins, and he's declared you righteous. He's freed you to be his followers forever. That doesn't mean it's easy to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, it's beyond us from the start. We can't do it with our own power. We can never even be a follower of Jesus unless he told us, follow him. But he has. He has issued those words. He's issued that call to you. He said, follow me when he said, I baptize you. 
He says, follow me each time that we receive the body and the blood of Christ in Holy Communion. He says that each time we hear the words of absolution, I forgive you all of your sins. Through his spirit, through his word, through his gifts, he issues forth the call. And so that we might be a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel and enlightened us with his gifts, has sanctified us and keeps us in the one true faith. And what that means is that your faith and your salvation is not built upon your commitment to Jesus. It's founded on his commitment to you. Because despite our weakness, Christ offers grace upon grace upon grace that you would be his forever. He has died and he has risen for you. And now the face that was once set on Jerusalem and set on the cross is the same face that shines upon you to be gracious unto you. Graciously, Jesus continues to call us to follow him. And while it's certainly appropriate for us to see these words and to say, that's a command, because it is, it's an imperative, I think there's, a, there's another, maybe better way of seeing these words. Instead of it just being a command, let's see it as an invitation. Let's see it as Christ inviting us to follow him to the cross, where our sins are forgiven and where his love is shown. And he invites us to follow him out of the grave where he defeats death and promises that death's power is undone. And he invites us to follow him into his kingdom where we live with him forever. Now we've heard this invitation. We hear it each and every day through his word. And now he charges us to share that invitation with others. Or as Jesus says in our text, he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Because there are many who are slaves to their own agendas and whose priorities are skewed towards that which cannot truly satisfy. And they need to hear about the eternal salvation that Jesus has earned for them. And by God's grace, they'll get to hear that invitation through his church, through the Grove and their new ministry, through Travis's work with the next church plant, through our school's outreach, through each and every one of us as we go out into our homes, into our communities, into our workplaces. Let's share the, the invitation. They too are called to follow him. May the Lord equip us for this task. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us with all that we need, especially with the gift of your son, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for choosing us and loving us enough to suffer the cross and the grave so that our sins would be forgiven. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for calling us to the faith and guiding us through this life. Lord, we've heard the call to follow you, and we pray for the strength to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.